You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. And when a great crowd gathered, was gathering, and, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow a seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it, and it choked it. And some fell on good ground, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said to him, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But those have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good ground, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is the word of God. There is a word that is thrown out frequently. We hear it today all the time. We see it in Scripture all the time, but we hear it today all the time, and it's quite simply the word faith. Faith. And if I were to ask you, what does faith mean? What does that word mean? We might get some different answers. I mean, even today, if you think about it, if somebody says, I'm a person of faith, I think I'm, I know what they mean, but I need to find out what do they mean by that. Or if somebody says we are a faith-based organization, you go, well, that I think is code for Christian organization, but I, want, I have a follow-up question. What, what do you mean when you say faith? And we know what the Bible teaches, that, um, that we are saved by grace through faith, and so it's imperative that we understand what this word faith means and we don't just redefine it. And so the question is, what does biblical saving faith actually look like? What does biblical saving faith actually look like? And we need this today, and they apparently needed it in their day as well, because Jesus clarifies this for them. 
Now, Jesus, at this point, had met all kinds of people. Yes, he's, he's been teaching to multitudes. He's done, there's, there's miracles, there's healings. All these things have happened. Most recently, he was at um, a Pharisee's house named Simon. And if you remember, he was there. They, if you were here last week or saw it online, they were reclining and eating. And then this woman, probably a prostitute, comes up and exhibits faith in Jesus. The righteous, the self-righteous Pharisee is mortified that this woman is here. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven to her because she is expressing her faith in Christ. So what in the world uh, does faith actually look like? And you heard it read. It said, a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him. And it says, he said in a parable. Now, Jesus liked to teach in parables. And I'll tell you very quickly, what's a parable and why did he do it? A parable is simply a story to illustrate a point. A story to illustrate a point. It's not a true story necessarily, but it illustrates a point. Now, this is different from looking at the whole Bible like that. Like we go, well, the story of Jonah wasn't a true story. It was just illustrating a point or the story of Noah. That's not what's happening. This is a true story. Jesus is there. Jesus is teaching. And then he does what teachers do, that he takes a story, a hypothetical, and he speaks it to try and illustrate a truth. This happens all the time, and Luke has a lot of these in his gospel. When the lawyers ask Jesus in Luke 10, who's my neighbor? And Jesus, instead of saying, everybody, says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to to Jericho, and he launches into the parable of the good Samaritan. Or Luke 15, the Pharisees are grumbling. Jesus, they say, receives sinners and eats with them. And so he says, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? It's the parable of the lost sheep. And he keeps going. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? The parable of the lost coins. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And it's the story of the prodigal son. So they're asking Jesus, like, why are you receiving sinners and eating with them? And he goes, let me tell you a story, which is kind of interesting. It'd be a little frustrating. Like if somebody comes into my office and is like, Jim, what's the meaning of life? And I go, well, a Pharisee and Sadducee and Herodian walked into a bar. And I start answering the question like that. You would go, just tell me, what's the meaning of life? Can you just email me this and just let me know? And Jesus, they ask him and he speaks in this way. And so you have to go, why does he do it like that? as opposed to just going, everybody's your neighbor. Everybody matters to God. Why doesn't he just give the very simple answer? And at least this parable right here, the reason he speaks in parables is not the reason that you might think. In fact, my guess is for many of us, in this parable at least, it's the exact opposite reason of what we might think. I'll show you this in just a moment. Now, let me describe what's happening here. So Jesus gives the parable of, um, it's been called the sower because he's the main character doing that. It's called the parable of the seed because he's tossing seeds. It's called the, um, I've heard it called the parable of the soils because of different types of soil that it hits, but it's talking about the people. So I've heard it called the parable of the souls. So whether you call it the sower, the seed, the soil, or the souls, whatever it is, um, this is a parable about this man going and he does something very common. He's just sort of liberally spreading seeds all over and they land in different places. But now if you and I didn't know the second part of Jesus's sermon that he's giving, um, if we didn't know that, we would be just as confused as most people. 
Because he starts out and it's just Jesus going, there's a sower. And he goes out and he sows seeds and some fell here and some fell here and some fell here and some fell here. And, uh, and then he just sort of gets done. That's the first part is him just telling the parable, telling the story. And then what happens is some people sort of go, okay, and just sort of leave. Like that was weird. And they walk off. And you can see this in the other gospels, Matthew and Mark's gospel as well have this story. And you can see some of them walk off. And the disciples stay and they go, it's uh, a little embarrassing, but we don't understand what you just said. And so he goes, well, let me explain what I just said. So you have the, him telling the story. You have this little interlude where the disciples go, we don't understand what just happened. And Jesus goes, well, let me tell you what it is. And I'll tell you why I'm using parables to do it. And now I'm going to give you the answer to it. Okay. So in that little interlude right there, so he's just talked about the sower and the seeds. He says, he gets through just the story in verse, I'm skipping down to verse eight. It says, as he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he's concluding what he just said. And we're answering the question, why did he speak in parables? And he says, when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables. And then he says, why? So that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. If I were to ask the average person, why, why are the parables here? And some of them are, I think, to bring clarity and an illustration. And Jesus gives the point right at the end. This one, he says, they're in parables so that they won't understand it. Because we kind of think, oh, he told the cute little story so people will understand it. And he's saying, I did it in a parable. I did it in this way. I told the story and there needs to be an explanation afterwards so some people will understand and some won't. That maybe shouldn't sit right with us. Like you wonder, why did Jesus do that? Surely, Jim, you're about to tell us there's something in the Greek or there's something from another gospel that says that's not exactly what it means. And it does. In fact, he's quoting, when he says that, he's quoting from the book of Isaiah. So we can look at what he's, the, the situation in Isaiah and what he's quoting, and then look at what he's saying here. Why is he using this? And in Isaiah, when it says, seeing they may not see, hearing they may not understand, the, um, in, in the book of Isaiah, what's happening at that time with God's people is they are very infatuated with their own ideas. They have got life figured out apart from God. They have their own ideas about life. They have their own ideas, especially about God. And so what God is saying in Isaiah is he's saying, fine, I will speak to you now in a way that is appropriately judicial based on your response. What he means by that is God is our perfect judge and there's people going, we can do it our own way. And we see this throughout the scriptures that periodically God goes, I'm gonna give you up to that then. You think you can do this better? The way you're gonna glorify me is you're gonna have to walk that path and maybe come to the end of it and realize how the heartache that ensues and come back to me. He says this in the book of Romans. He says, everything has been made plain about God, but people, what? They reject him. They worship the created thing instead of the creator. And what does it say? God gave them up to their passions. He's saying, this is what you're asking for. And so, okay, it's a hard truth. And what he's saying here, just so we're real clear, he is speaking in parable. He's giving a story. And then a bunch of people heard it and went, Eh, to heck with you. And they turned and walked off and several other people pressed in to say, what does that mean? 
Help us know so we can follow you. In other words, there's a bunch of people that heard Jesus speaking and thought, you're not worth my time. I'm just fine on my own without you. Thank you very much, Jesus. You're, you're a nice little fad and you're out here speaking, but, um, but Jesus speaks in parables to see who are the people that the seeds of faith have been planted in their hearts that they might press in to try to understand me more. In other words, the people that turn and just hear the first part and just walk off are demonstrating that they don't understand what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. And they're heading out. So this is a very common passage here. That's the summary, you know, the guy goes out, he's spreading seeds, it lands on four types of soils. And I'm gonna do something that I'm a little nervous about. I'm gonna take, instead of Jesus, how he spoke it, what I'm gonna do is this. Um, the parables, <clears throat> he, he gives the parable, there's that interlude, and then there's the explanation of the parable. This is to the people that are coming and going, okay, we, we want to follow you, we want to hear more, okay? The disciples, and it says others as well in other gospels. So when he says the seed, well, we don't know what that is until he explains it later. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna say the seed, and then I'm gonna take the scripture from here and put it up right against it so we can get the interpretation from Jesus as we're going along. Jesus never really says who the sower is in this parable. You, you should note that. So let me just show you this. So, um, let's see. Verse five, I say 5a, it's the beginning. Jesus says, the sower went out to sow his seed. So he's telling the story initially. Then later when he defines it, he says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. So as he's starting to say, and he says, a sower goes out and sows his seed, um, it's deeper than just some guy out and he's sowing seeds. This is saying the word of God, the message of the kingdom of God is being spread in that day to Israel. And it's received four different ways. Soil number one. It says, as he sowed, some fell along the path. This is Jesus just telling the story. And was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Now, this is why people had to hang for the explanation, because we never would have gotten this explanation on our own. Jesus explains it later to the disciples. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. He's saying the enemy sometimes comes in and plugs people's ears, hardens people's hearts so they can hear this message of the gospel and they won't respond what he's saying is he's starting out saying something about your faith you need to understand is this process of justification, being declared righteous before Almighty God. There is something supernatural about it. It is not just, as remember, he was just with a Pharisee, you just looking good, you just following every single law and just being the best you, and, then, and that, that is just good enough to pull us into relationship with God. He's saying there is something supernatural about coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. One pastor said, always beware the work of Satan when God's truth is being spoken. This is why it's important to pray for your pastors, by the way, to pray for these gatherings, to pray before Bible studies, because the enemy would like for people in that room to not hear the truth of God. Now, however free will, Arminian, whatever you are, you have to start by saying there's something supernatural about faith. 
And the reason that's so important is the starting point of our faith, unlike the Pharisee that he was just with, is not look how great we are. It's look how great our Savior is. Look how great a price that he paid. And that moves us to follow him and perhaps be like one of these other uh, soils here. Uh, Soil number two, it says, some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. So that's Jesus telling the story. And he's talking, about, uh, he's talking about the sower going out and some of them fall on the rock and there's not a lot of dirt. So the rains come and they sort of wash off. There's no depth, not this saturated soil that it can just keep pulling nutrition from or keep pulling the water from. And, and he says, so they don't grow. And then so later when he gives the explanation, it says the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy but they have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing, fall away. Joy, but no root. These are spurious conversions that happen all the time of people just excited and just say some words or check a box, come down for an altar call and the next day is just business as usual. There's, um, <clears throat> there's a story in one church that uh, the pastor stood up and he, said, um, and he said, if you want to trust Christ and you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, come on forward at an altar call at the end. And this man gets up and he comes forward. Praise God. And the next week, the pastor gets up and he goes, and he says, if you want to trust Jesus Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit, please come forward. And the same man gets up and walks forward. And the next week, you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, come for the same man gets up and walks forward, and he's thinking, I need to tell this guy he doesn't need to get saved every week just because he's feeling something in the moment. How do I do that tactfully? And he didn't get a chance to talk to him, and it became week number four. And the the pastor says, if you want to come to faith in Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit, please come forward. And a woman in the congregation yells out, don't fill him, Lord, he leaks. (laughs) Over and over and over. The emotion of... (gasps) I worked in camping ministry for a while, and this is what you'd see every single year because I was there for several years. It's Christian camp. They'd get up at the campfire, and you would say your little thing, and everybody's crying, and then they would toss a stick in the field. And, the, and yeah, anyway, so you would do that at the campfire every single year. Every single year, people get up. Last year, I said I was going to really live for Christ, and I didn't, but this year, I mean it. That's great. That's great to tug and cry. We do all that, and it's great. The next year, last year, I said I was going to live for Christ, and I didn't. But this year, I mean it. And the next year, and the next year. And being there for several years, I saw over and over and over, I saw these young people that would come up, and because they'd been there for a week, they're experiencing something, and they're feeling these emotions, and so they make these promises, and then they go back, and they just fall right back into old patterns. So I got obsessed with how can, we, how can we break out of those of just the emotion and with those, those kids, and it may be applicable for some of us here as well, they would go back to their old rhythms and their old relationships. Their old rhythms and their old relationships. We're already crazy busy. We're just gonna go back and be crazy busy again. And uh, I've got all these friends that are a terrible influence on my life, but I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna hang out with all these friends. And what I found is if I could break one or preferably both of those to say, what can shift in your life? Does this mean that you need to not have as much time for this group of friends, but time for these Christian friends that will strengthen you and encourage you? Then it went from being just a joy emotion to a, to a more enduring thing in their life. 
And how do you know that it's shallow? It says in the time of testing, people fall away. Some are going to say, we believe it, it sounds good, it makes me feel good. Oh, but I have to actually live it out? Now I'm in a moment of testing? I I don't know about that. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you should expect to get tested. If you're a true follower of me, you'll anticipate tests. That's part and parcel of being a, a follower of Jesus Christ. If you come to faith and think, I will never be put to the test, you don't understand the countercultural nature of the kingdom that I'm proclaiming. Now, for them in that day, there was a time shortly after this where Christians would have to go to the altar, the temple, and they would have to get a, a pinch of incense and they would have to drop it and they would say, um, they would say uh, Caesar Curia, and they would say, Caesar is Lord, meaning Jesus is not Lord, Caesar is Lord. And if they didn't do that, they could be killed. Jesus is saying, talk about a time of testing. Don't fall away. This faith that can stand under pressure is what he's requiring. He says, that's what it means to follow me. Jesus is saying, decide ahead of time when those tests come that I'm worth it. And there's another group that needs to decide ahead of time. It says, some fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. So you have these fledgling seeds that are growing among these pretty hardy thorns, honestly. And so they're overtaking it. And so he explains what it means later. And he says, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures. And the key is of life and their fruit does not mature. The word for uh, cares is merimnao. It's, it's mainly translated worry. It's saying the worries of life, the riches of life, the pleasures of life. Of life meaning they look around and see everything around them and say, I want this wealth, I want this pleasure. I've got my, my worries. I've got my plans of what I'm doing in my life. And he says they receive faith and then all of a sudden everything chokes it out and there's no maturity. I get it, and I get it even today that people get immediately intoxicated by the things the world has to offer because that's the ocean that we're swimming in, isn't it? I mean, you look around on social media and everybody else following their own pleasures, seeking their own uh, beauty or or, or fame or or money or pleasure. We look at that and we go, well, their life seems to be going okay. That's the world that we're living in right now. It's, It's this, I value my own life plans. I value what this world can give me. I want the pleasures of the world. And sometimes we just say, I deserve happiness. That's the mantra of the world today. And Jesus, we'll start seeing through Luke's gospel, take up your cross and follow me. Anyone who wants to follow me must deny himself, he says. What they profess is choked out and they don't really believe. Jesus, this is nice what you're saying. Picture it in that day. I like what you're saying. It's kind of interesting. And maybe if you do something for me, I will cast my lot in with you. But you got to do something for me. And the root of this, when we think about faith, really the word trust, the root of it is the one who died for me is not worth trusting because what if I get to the end of my days and go, man, I wish I'd just grabbed onto more pleasure. Man, I just wish I'd made more money. Man, what a waste to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. And so what Jesus is saying is, do you trust me? Do you trust that in that moment, it'll be worth it? So he gives these reasons people don't respond favorably to Christ and his words. Satan doesn't want him to. 
Um, there's people that respond but don't really respond. The shallow faith and the testing pro uh, proves that it's shallow and untrue. And these two like Christianity in principle, but not in practice. They like Jesus in principle, but they don't like Jesus in practice. He seems like a neat guy, but I'm not gonna do what he tells me to do. That, that's the crowd that he's dealing with. And so he says this, some fell good, good soil, and it grew and yielded a hundredfold. Good, there's a happy ending. Some fell into good soil and it grew and yielded a hundredfold. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now, when it says good soil, he is not saying it lands on good people. That can't be what he's talking about. He just left the Pharisee and this woman came to him and he's like, you guys aren't getting it and she is. He's not talking about good or bad. He's really, he knows it's about faith. So he's not talking about good people, but what he's doing, what makes any kind of soul or soil or heart good is the work of the spirit of God in the life of a person. The Spirit does a work in our lives so we can respond to God in faith. This is why people respond. Their heart is ready to respond. And he says, bear fruit with patience. Their faith stands over time. No trial pulls them. No pleasure of this world can pull them from following Christ. No other life plan makes them divert their attention from Jesus Christ. So the question is, is this worth following Christ. That means I may have to forego some things that I don't really want to forego. There's a, there's a sign at my, or picture at my gym where I work out, where I, I work out. Uh, and uh, here it is. Do we have it? Can you put that up? It says, one day, all this hard work will make sense. One day, all this hard work will make sense. And as he says, bear fruit with patience, the kind of faith we have says someday we'll understand. Someday, hopefully, we'll know. Maybe in this life, maybe when we're face-to-face face to face with our Lord and Savior. Someday, it'll make sense. He says, bear fruit with patience. What Jesus is dealing with in that day is there's many that are coming to Jesus, but very few that are becoming disciples. Many that are coming to Jesus, but very few that are becoming disciples. Some of them are going to redefine faith in a certain way that lowers the bar, and it's not the kind of faith that Jesus is talking about. He says, the faith that you have is faith that will follow me to the ends of the earth. You know what Schlitterbahn is? I see a few heads nodding. I'm actually genuinely curious. Um, I, I've asked a few people this, and they've looked at me like, uh, Gesundheit, like they didn't know what I just said. Schlitterbahn is, they, I think they used to have like three. I've, I've only, I, on their website, they only had two now. They're two water parks, and they're down in Texas. Now, there's one. That one, I think, is the slide, actually, that tragically, I think this is the KC one that um, a young man lost his life on, and so they shut that one down. And they, and they had like the tallest, the biggest, the steepest drop or something in the nation. And when I was, uh, I was a youth pastor years ago and I, um, we went on a mission trip in South Texas and then we went to Schlitterbahn, this water park. And at the time, the slide we went on was the steepest one. And one of the awesome things about me is I'm terrified of heights. And I'm terrified of steep drops on water slides. And I'm not in the biggest fan of roller coasters. I sort of begrudgingly sort of do them to try and act tough, but I hate them. And so I'm there, and I got bullied into doing this by some 10 and 11-year-olds. 
And they said, you know, will you do this? And I said, uh, no, I will not do it. But y'all have fun and I'll be down here at the bottom. And so, uh, and then finally they're like, come on, do it, do it. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And so I did. So this isn't the exact picture. It's similar to that. But I have to tell you, this is easily the biggest water slide I've ever done, ever will do. And it just felt like going up, it felt like that was our afternoon, was just the ascent to get up there before we go down the water slide. And you had to have these big hold, um, they were like, like kind of sleds, but that you would, that you would sit in and they were, they were real like rugged, they were plastic, but real rugged. And, you, and they were heavy. And so you had to carry these things up. Now I think you can throw it on a little elevator and it lifts it. But we used to have to lug these things up. And so imagine just sitting there. I mean, I don't even know how long it took. It's been a while. But it just seemed like forever. I mean, you're total, like you were soaking wet. You're totally dry and you're a third of the way up, right? And so we're just walking and walking and going up and going up and going up. And anyway, as I'm thinking of the parable, this, this image came to mind for me of sort of walking up, kind of living the Christian life. I'm going up and up and up. And I remember just one time I just was, I, my, I just felt like my heart was, I just like, I, I don't know if I can keep doing this. And I had to stop and kind of set it down and, and just start panting. And I looked back and thank God all the other children were doing the same. I didn't feel as bad. And I thought, oh man, are we almost there? And I look and we're maybe like a fifth of the way up at this point. And I, I just thought I can't take this anymore. And what actually encouraged me to, to keep going was we had to move over to the side because other people were going, yeah, forget this, and they were coming back down. And I remember watching them like, huh, huh. <laughs> let me go, let me go with you. Um, <clears throat> and so I'm watching, them, I'm watching them walk back down and I thought, I'll keep going. So we kept going, we kept going, we kept pushing. More people were going down and and, you know, some of it, not to stretch this too much, but some of them, I think, just said, you know, to get to the very end of this is not worth the test and the trial that I'm going to have to go through to get the heck up there. We're out of here. Or I know this will be fun. There's joy on the other side of this, but there's a whole water park. I'm just going to go find joy somewhere else. And so we're wandering and wandering, and all these people are going back. And I'm like, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. It took forever. We finally get up there. And I'm up there, and, it's, and of course, they're like, Jim, go first. I'm like, all right. And so I'm just like, I, I have to catch my breath going to be like, you know, 15 minutes and I'm just sitting here just catching my breath and they all were too. It's the whole platform up there is just like people just laying there like <gasps> after climbing this thing for like a four second slide, by the way, that goes bing and you're done and that's it. And so anyway, we get up to the whole thing and I'm looking at like, okay, I'll go first. And I, and I made the mistake of kind of looking down. I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And then I said, can I, and I asked the guy, some 16 year old kid probably working the water slide that held the fate of my life in his hand. And I said, can I just look at the slide so I can see what I'm getting into before I go? And he says, no. And I thought, the heck with you. And so I kind of walked forward to the thing and I realized he wasn't like forbidding me. He was saying, it is not physically possible to get to an angle where you can see the slide. And so I've got my sled, I go up to the thing and it's, um, it, it's kind of a, like you sit on it kind of like this. And then at some point, the 16 year old kid goes burp and pushes a button and it goes, and it's, it's, these are rollers and you turn like this. Well, maybe not quite that much. It felt like that much. I'm just saying. And then you just, feels like a bullet out of a gun. I mean, you just, boom, and you fly down this thing. Well, I had thought that once I had decided, yeah, I'll endure the, any, this heartache, I'll, this will be worth it, and all that, and I get up there, that I was going to at least 
see what was ahead of me before I would have to go. And I couldn't. And I can't tell you what trials you're going to go through, but you probably will. What tests you're going to go through in your faith, but more than likely, you will. And the way to do it is get on that thing. And then when that kid pushes the button, and all of a sudden you go, and then you're seeing it for the first time. I was terrified. And I'm going, and it, like, it kept dropping and kept dropping. It probably took like a quarter of a second or something. It felt like it was like slow motion just shooting me out. And I remember just my stomach used up and up in my throat, you know, the whole time. And I didn't have a clue what it looked like because he wouldn't let me see it. But poof. once I decided to go and once the button was pushed, I was in. I'm not turning back. And I got to the end and it was absolutely petrifying but I looked back and I thought, I'm glad I did that. If I were to say, Jesus, this is, this is the faith you call me to. This is what I'm gonna do. I'll get on the little thing and I'm just gonna go. I don't know what trials are gonna come up, but I'm ready for them. I will not turn when tests and trials come my way. There is no pleasure in this world that is gonna be greater than the pleasure of walking closely with you. And I know I'll get to the end and I will say this was worth it. And if Jesus was there, if I can be so bold as to speak for him, I think he might say something different than we think because he might hear that and say, that is the normal faith that I'm calling you to. It's not extraordinary. It's normal. Or he might say, good, you must have heard me tell the parable of the sower and the seeds in the soil. Father, would you enable in us the kind of faith that says there's no pleasure in this world, nothing in this life that is more precious to us than your perfect son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for what he has done for us, us, and I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ here that you would do your supernatural work in us to enable this kind of faith that would stand rock solid for you, come what may, on the other end of that slide. <laughs>